Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Today. The Falcons trade Matt Ryan to the Colts for a third? 28 straight Sweet 16 trips for the Yukon Huskies. Plus, are the Saints satisfied with Jameis Winston leading their offense? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. After 14 seasons and becoming the best quarterback in franchise history, Matt Ryan is moving on from the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta traded Ryan on Monday to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for a 2022 third-round draft pick. The team announced our Locked On Falcons host Aaron Freeman joined Locked On's at Kanani Stevens to discuss. Kind of saw this coming, obviously, the last couple seasons. It's been talked about, you know, that Matt Ryan might be heading out of town, but now we actually know he's headed off to Indianapolis. Kind of what was your immediate gut reaction when you heard the news today? Yeah, the... We've been knowing for a while that the end was coming. Uh, we've known since probably this weekend after the Falcons failed pursuit of Deshaun Watson that the end was nigh and coming in a matter of days. Uh, and so it was just a question of where he was headed and what the Falcons would get back for him. And the Colts immediately popped up as a team that a lot of people speculated as him heading towards. So him being sent to Indianapolis was not a surprise, but the fairly paltry return that the Falcons got uh, for Matt Ryan in a third-round pick and the, the second of the two third-round picks that the Colts uh, had uh, seemed a little disappointing. So that was kind of initially my reaction to see one of the team's pillars of the franchise for a decade plus uh, to basically be you know dumped uh, for pennies on the dollar was a little disappointing in my eyes. Certainly a bitter taste in the mouth. I mean, I don't have any skin in this game exactly, but you look at it on paper and you're like, okay, that's all they kind of got back for that. And then what they decided to do with Marcus Mariota in signing him as either the bridge or just the next guy, what's really the role they're going to expect from him? Is this kind of a rebuild guy? Yeah, I think bridge is a a perfect way of terming it. I think right now the plan is at some point in the very near future, potentially the 2022 draft, possibly in the 2023 draft, the Falcons will try to find their quarterback of the future, their franchise quarterback to succeed Matt Ryan long-term. And Marcus Mariota is the guy that can start games for them this season uh, until they find that player or or until that player is ready to start. He's experienced in Arthur Smith's offense from their share days in Tennessee with the Titans. And so he's familiar with the scheme. He's certainly performed at a uh, capable starting caliber level in previous times in Tennessee. So certainly a guy that can keep the Falcons competitive from an offensive standpoint, but unless Marcus Mariota is significantly better than where he was when he left off in Tennessee, he's probably not the long-term solution. Is this really kind of the the white flag in terms of we're going hard in this full rebuild at this at this point? I mean, not that they weren't necessarily trying to do that a little bit as they were going along, but to kind of see that they didn't even really fight for a big return. They've got some dead cap money as well from that deal and then no big grand plan after that. Yeah, this was a, a issue that was debated 
ad nauseum a year ago when the Falcons held the fourth overall selection with the new regime head coach, new general manager. Did they rebuild or did they sort of reload around Matt Ryan and some of the pieces that they had, like Julio Jones, like Calvin Ridley, who are no longer with the team at this point in time? And they chose to kind of reload, it's seemingly, uh, and passed on an opportunity to take a young, talented quarterback at the top of the 2022 draft, including you know a hometown kid in Justin Fields, uh, who ultimately went to the Chicago Bears. And it would seem that if you had drafted him and then traded Matt Ryan this offseason, hopefully would have gotten more than a third round pick on that return. You could at least say, okay, we're in a rebuild, but we have our quarterback secured the most important position on the field. And we can start to put the pieces around them. That's what you're seeing with the bears doing with fields uh, as we speak. Uh, and so that at least gives you a direction, but now sort of a year later to kind of start the rebuild, probably a year too late uh, where you now don't have that answer at quarterback and you haven't really made any major strides and you still same have some of these key holes along the offensive line and in the defense it doesn't feel like the falcons taking this rebuild path uh at this time was the right direction to go uh but we'll just sort of have to see if they can sort of steer themselves out of it in the coming years for more subscribe to locked on nfl on youtube Thanks for making Locked On Today your first listen of the day. Coming up 28 straight, sweet 16 trips for the Yukon Huskies, plus a return to Cleveland for the King. That's next. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. LeBron James was back in Cleveland, and he put on a show for his former home. This is Brian Kamenetsky, host of Locked On Lakers. This has not been a season with much joy for L.A., but on Monday, the Lakers got plenty of it. 131 to 120, the final score. LeBron James puts on a huge show for the fans in Cleveland. 38 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists, a poster dunk on Kevin Love, and some dagger turnaround jumpers uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, but it wasn't just LeBron. Austin Reeves played with joy. Uh, DJ Augustine hit all seven of his three-pointers. Uh, even Russell Westbrook, who's had a, just a, a terribly depressing season, he shows up at the arena wearing a, sweat, a sweater with a design uh, drawn by his four-year-old son. He was in a great mood after the game. 20 points, 11 assists for him. Don't look now. Don't get too excited, but the Lakers have started to string together at least a few decent quarters, enough to give the Lakers uh, and their fans some hope over the last couple weeks of the season. And if you haven't seen the dunk on Kevin Love, you have to do it to the point that LeBron fake jokingly apologized to Kevin after the game. Currently in ninth, but don't look now. Here come the Charlotte Hornets in the East. The Charlotte Hornets get their one, two, three, four, fifth win in a row. I'm Doug Branson from the Locked On Hornets podcast. It was a close one down the stretch. Uh, the Hornets trailed for most of this game against the New Orleans Pelicans, but they get a win thanks to, thanks to some clutch defense and clutch shooting by LaMelo Ball. So how are they doing it? How are the Charlotte Hornets now winners of five games in a row? Well, it starts at the defensive end. They're playing a lot better there, something they haven't re really been doing all season, even though they're still missing Gordon Hayward, who's been out for a while with an ankle injury. 
Uh, they're getting big contributions from Montrez Harrell and Isaiah Thomas, two midseason pickups. And finally, players are just playing better. Miles Bridges is hitting three-point shots. LaMelo Ball is staying out of foul trouble and knocking down clutch uh, layups like he did in this game against New Orleans to put him up three. And even Mason Plumley, who has struggled from the free throw line inexplicably all season, is now putting them up left-handed and putting them in. So those improvements uh, have been big for the Charlotte Hornets as they look to improve uh, their playoff positioning. For more on the Charlotte Hornets, make sure you check out Locked on Hornets with myself and Walker Mayo. The Nets need every win they can get and a win over a good Jazz team? Well, that's impressive. Every game at this point is critical for the Brooklyn Nets and a 114-106 victory at home over the Utah Jazz is just what was asked for. Two and one over the last three home games without Kyrie Irving. It was interesting because Utah chose not to do what so many teams have done in the absence of Kyrie. Blitz, double team, forced the hand of Kevin Durant to pass to anyone other than Kevin Durant. Instead, it was a casual 37 points there and another sample size as Seth Curry went down with hopefully a minor knee injury of how Bruce Brown continues to step up on both the defensive and offensive end of the floor, showing fluidity, getting to the rim, showing confidence. And then one Nicholas Claxton, who in spite of playing up against larger competition tonight, Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside still has showcased confidence, poise, and attention to detail on the defensive and offensive end, chipping in rebounds, assists, and avoiding foul trouble that has gotten oppositions to the line with ease and taken him off the court. The Brooklyn Nets are to push forward here towards the playoffs and try to climb out of that eighth seed. It's going to be about the superstars at the front end, like Kevin Durant, and supporting role players like Bruce Brown and Nicholas Claxton helped bring the win home tonight. The hand size debate of 2022 is not over. Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett, his much discussed hand size increased by an eighth of an inch from his official NFL scouting combine measurement, checking in at eight and five eighths inches at Pitt's Pro Day on Monday. The stretches work, Pickett said with a laugh. It's the reason why I've been doing them. If it helped getting an eighth of an inch, I'll take it. Even with the slightly bigger measurement, Pickett's hands would still be the smallest of any starter or notable NFL backup. Taysom Hill's measurement is the next smallest recorded as eight and three quarters inches. If you are in a conversation where Taysom Hill is the next best guy, it's not great, Bob. The Buffalo Bills made two additions to their offense on Monday, agreeing to a deal with veteran running back Duke Johnson while also coming to terms with receiver Jamison Crowder on a one-year contract. The move comes after Buffalo had lost out on running back J.D. McKissick to the Washington Commanders last week. Or the commies, if you like. Here's what to look for on Bet Online, your number one spot for all your daily gambling needs. Get ahead of the Sweet 16 action in the men's college basketball tournament. One-seeded Gonzaga will face number four seed Arkansas on Thursday. And the BetOnline.net line for this game has Gonzaga favored by nine and a half. Eleven-seed Michigan looks to continue their run against two-seed Villanova. And the BetOnline.net line for this game has Villanova favored by five. On Friday, two storied programs meet in an unlikely Sweet 16 matchup as the 11-seeded UNC Tar Heels face the number four seed UCLA Bruins, the betonline.net line is UCLA favored by two. Bet online where the game starts.
there's another story you need to know. It has been a record-setting first two rounds of the NCAA Women's Tournament, tying the double-digit seed record with eight wins. Parity has been the buzz phrase of the women's bracket this season. Joining me now from the next, M. Adler. And, and M, there are going to be people who say parity is good for the women's game. Parity is bad. Parity is some other thing. Just anecdotally, how have you felt about this idea of parity in this tournament? This has been absolutely incredible. And it's not just even those double-digit wins. Villanova gave Michigan a game for most of the sequence. Princeton only lost by one point Mm. to Indiana. Um, Belmont only lost by three points to Tennessee. Just looking across the games in this round, it's been an incredible round. And this is the kind of excitement that we've been waiting for for years and has slowly increased. And it's at this point that every single second round game is an absolute must watch. To what can we attribute the, the fact that these games are closer? Because it has been the case for a long time in women's college basketball that the premier programs ran things for the most part. I think there's a lot of factors. The talent right now is so so much more distributed than it used to be. There's a lot of different eyes in recruiting. The nation is really, there's, there's nowhere to hide anymore if you're a recruit and there are places to go that you can get opportunities. The transfer portal, I think, is a huge factor over the past couple of years. Getting that instant eligibility as players have has allowed them to be able to go to situations where they can play, where they can succeed and get playing time immediately. Creighton beat Iowa with an Iowa transfer who was at Iowa last year. A couple of years ago, if she wanted to transfer and get more playing time, she would not have hit that shot. She was Creighton's leading scorer in that game. You can have teams like UConn and and especially South Carolina that are still dominating uh, recruiting classes, but the talent that exists is finding places to go and to succeed. And you're seeing that all across the tournament. And, and I think it says something when you have someone like Caitlin Clark go down and there's still so much other good basketball being played. They're not reliant on just one or two players to carry the torch. There are a lot of teams and a lot of players that are able to do it, but let's talk about one of those key teams, maybe the key team, depending on who you ask in women's college basketball. And that is UConn. They're going to their 28th straight. I will say that again, their 28th straight sweet 16. They got a 52 47 win over seven seed UCF. How has this team struck you this year? Because they are not the hegemon that we have seen in years past. It's a weird team. I'll just say that. (laughs) Right now, at any given point in the next couple of games they play, one game, two games, three games, they could have anywhere between three and a half and like five and a half good players on the roster. It just varies from game to game. I think Carolyn Ducharme, their freshman, is very good. She tonight was frankly terrible and missed several point blank layups. Mm. There's, I think, some players that have just played like shells of themselves this year and have underwhelmed. And so what you're seeing is a team that when uh, Paige went down early in the season, they had to figure some things out because really the bucket getter when so many of their players have turned out to have underwhelming seasons, she wasn't there. I don't think they've really turned it around much. They just got to the Big East and they got to a really easy schedule down the stretch. They have the, the top end talent. When you have Kristen Williams, when you have Azzy Fudd, when you have Paige Beckers, when you have a defender like Olivia Nelson about it, you can do anything if it all clicks. So they are going to be exciting because they can win and they can also lose. 
Coming up, are the Saints satisfied with Jameis Winston leading their offense? Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I got a message from a listener the other day who said that he bought a box finally. He gave one to his girlfriend and she said, oh my God, it tastes like a candy bar. And he said, that is literally their slogan. This is the truth. I'm trying to tell it to you. They are covered in 100% chocolate. One of the reasons that they are delicious. But high in protein, high in fiber, low in net carbs, low in sugar. These are as real a deal as exists in the protein bar space. And if you don't believe me, go to built.com and use promo code LOCKS15 to get 15% off your order. And you will find out, I promise. Use promo code LOCKS15 for 15% off at built.com. Agree or disagree? This is the Q of the day. The New Orleans Saints have their quarterback, and it is not Deshaun Watson. He's already in Cleveland. Jameis Winston agrees to a two-year, $28 million deal to be the New Orleans Saints quarterback. We think Taysom Hill already on the roster, getting plenty of money as well. Joining me now from Locked on Saints, Ross Jackson. And Ross, if you're the Saints, why do this move? What does this signal about where the Saints think they are in terms of competing this season? I think that it puts them in a situation to compete this season, particularly within their division, the same day that the Atlanta Falcons rivals from right across the division end up trading their quarterback to the Indianapolis Colts for a third round pick and perhaps some peanuts. And the New Orleans Saints now bring back somebody that is familiar with their system, that was successful with their system, number one touchdown percentage in 2021, and his seven starts with the Saints, 14 touchdowns with three interceptions. Not the Jameis Winston of 2019 that everyone was ready to see throw 30 more interceptions. And so I think that this should have been the Saints' MO, perhaps the Saints' First move coming out of the gate in free agency, they offered him a contract earlier on this offseason that apparently either wasn't to his liking or at least uh, the camp wanted to see more offers they could potentially get out on the market. Turns out not a lot available, so the New Orleans Saints fall back to their plan B after that very uncomfortable pursuit of Deshaun Watson, and thankfully for New Orleans, their plan B was their original plan A, so they were probably in the best situation out of the uh, teams that were involved in that uncomfortable pursuit. There is also the part of this that is the the Saints go through all of the salary cap machinations to try and land this big fish and they wind up with Jameis Winston. So now do they have flexibility to go out and do something else to try and make this team more of a bona fide playoff team moving forward? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and everything that they did with their salary cap, they would have done with or without Deshaun Watson. It's just notable that they did it all in one big chunk. Usually what the Saints will do is that they'll get salary cap compliant, spend a little bit of money, restructure a contract, spend that money, restructure a contract, and just sort of keep the cycle going. But the fact that they opened it up all into one chunk effectively so they could fit Deshaun Watson under that salary cap and then restructure puts them in a position now to where, yes, Jameis Winston's contract is a $14 million per year contract, quote unquote, but they will add void years that they'll knock down and keep that first year spending low so that they now can turn around and have over $20 million to help to rebuild this offense. The rest of the NFL, this has trickle down effects with Deshaun Watson, with Jameis Winston, because it is one fewer location in the case of New Orleans and two fewer in the case of Cleveland for these available quarterbacks. We still have Seattle, 
who does not have a plan beyond Drew Locke. And if Drew Locke is the plan, then they do not have a plan. And Carolina does not have, we believe, the quarterback that they would like. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can throw out a couple other names here. Where do you think we stand? Because Baker Mayfield has asked to be traded. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, we assume, will be traded. So w- what does the QB landscape look like right now? Yeah, look, uh, New Orleans Saints certainly in a very comfortable situation here now that they have figured out their quarterback situation going into 2022, but not all these other teams have. You mentioned the Seattle Seahawks, the Carolina Panthers. I agree. Carolina, Sam Darnold, that didn't seem to really work out really well for them last year, and they've been in pursuit of Deshaun Watson for 400 plus days. So now that that is officially out of the way, it would stand to reason that they would still be active within the quarterback trade market, whether it be for Baker Mayfield or maybe later on this offseason, Jimmy Garoppolo, depending upon the shoulder surgery and how that all ends up. And finally, three-time Masters champion Phil Mickelson will not play in next month's tournament at Augusta National Golf Club, marking the first time since 1994 that he won't compete there. It would have been his 30th master start. But the decision comes with Mickelson embroiled in controversy since last month when author Alan Shipnuck released an excerpt from his upcoming unauthorized biography of Phil Mickelson in which the six-time major champion criticized the PGA Tour and said he was involved in drawing up the working agreement for a breakaway league being financed by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Thanks for making Locked On Today your first listen. For your second listen, download Locked On Bets. All the gambling advice you need in about 20 minutes. Coming up Wednesday, will Baker Mayfield find a new home? So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on today.